you'd like to borrow a Bible, raise your hand, please, and the ushers will bring you a Bible, and you can just stick it in the pew when you are finished with it. I got back on Wednesday this past week with uh, our new daughter from Ethiopia. Just praise the Lord. Thank you so much for praying for us and encouraging us along the way. It was a very difficult journey. And I, I want to show you some pictures to proof that she's actually here. Because uh, I've been talking about her for so long. Yeah. She, that's my house, really. Really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's all my crew. Anyway, she's, she's home today with my wife. Uh, um, I know some of you have met her so far. I'm just praising the Lord. It was, a, it was an amazing time. It was very difficult and, and challenging. I just can't believe that everything fell into place, even if it was at the last minute. Uh, I actually went over there with my 10-month-old son. Uh, 10-month-old son. <laughs> See? Jet lag right here, man. In full effect. My 12-year-old son went over there with me to pick up my 10-year-old daughter. And no, see, that's wrong. I ought to just sit down and let someone else preach today. 10-month-old daughter. Dude, you, you did what I've been through recently. So uh, 24-hour plane ride back. It was awesome. Uh, anyway, we were over there with these two kids. And we were in this hotel room, and I'm not sleeping at all. Uh, this, the time changed, and the hotel room, the walls are closing in. So it was helpful for me to, to think about this sermon here this morning. It was a very uh, mentally and spiritually healthy exercise to think that I was going to preach to you this morning when it was late night. I wasn't sleeping, and the walls are closing in. So I'm, I'm very excited to, to preach to you this morning. And I just want to tell you, that what we're going to talk about this morning is so powerful. And, and the main gist is, is this. Would you still follow the Lord if no one else noticed? Like, how much is your walk with the Lord dependent upon the watching eye of others? If we're not careful, we can build our spiritual lives on trying to impress others or get them to notice that we are walking with Jesus and we can move away from pleasing the Lord. And and Jesus is very serious and he warns very strongly against walking with God for an outward show. And that's what we're going to look at today. So if you want to turn to the book of Matthew, we're going through the book of Matthew. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. We're in chapter 6 of Matthew. And so a very large section today, so we're not going to read it. But if you want to look at Matthew 6, you'll see these headers. I don't know what the headers are in your um, Bible, but this Matthew 6, 1 through 18, we're going to talk about giving to the needy, the poor. We're going to talk about prayer. And we're going to talk about fasting. And these are all great things to do, right? But, but Jesus knows the, the tendency within our heart to seek out attention from, from others, even in these spiritual uh, matters where we want to seek attention from others. But Jesus is going to say that his followers must be different. He, he's calling throughout this Sermon on the Mount for radical obedience, which is to be the kingdom norm. And as we walk in radical obedience, the kingdom norm, we have to be careful because we don't want to do it to seek the 
praise and applause of others, but seek the reward and pleasure of our Father. And I want to tell you who the most acceptable people are to this. It's the leaders. Leaders. I think he's really just going off on leaders here because in chapter 5 he's talking about contrasting with the leaders throughout the rest of Matthew. He's going to have issue with the Pharisees and the scribes. And it's the leaders, those up front, who have the most temptation to try to impress others. Not just pastors, elders, for those of you on campus who lead Bible studies or uh, for those of you who lead Bible studies, ethos, community leaders within the church. The tendency is to have this spiritual life built around the response of others where they will say, that's impressive. Leave me. Walk, make me walk closer to Jesus. You think, yeah, I'm, I'm walking pretty good with Jesus. And it's a tendency to leaders. So we have to be very careful, especially as leaders, to guard our hearts that we want to live for the glory of God, not to impress others. So where we've been going uh, recently, we, we finished off chapter 5. And if you remember in chapter 5, Jesus says in chapter 5, verse 20, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And when he did, going through anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, love your enemies, he's talking about having this exceeding righteousness above and beyond these fake religious people in our relation, our ethics to others. That's what he talked about in chapter 5. Well, beginning in chapter 6, he's going to talk about exceeding righteousness in relation to worshiping acts piety, acts of discipline, uh, prayer, of giving, of fasting, where things can look great on the outside, and they can look the same on the outside, but what's going on within our hearts? What is the motive of our hearts? To find the approval of man or the approval of God? So let's just take these topic by topic, going from, from giving to prayer and to fasting, and let's just start with this introductory statement in verse 1. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is warning here against the religious show. Don't put on a show for others. And he's not against giving, he's not against praying, and he's not against fasting. But he's against the, the reason they may be done wrongly, corruptly. What's your motive? It's interesting that he wants these things to be done in secret because if you, if you look back at chapter 5, it talks about being salt and light within this world, right? We are to be salt and light that this world notices. But notice what it says in chapter 5. You want to look once again at verse 16 of chapter 5 when others notice our salt and our light. Look at verse 16. In the same way... Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So people will notice our religious life, our spiritual life, but when they do, they're supposed to give praise, glory, honor to our Father who is in heaven. But what's happening in chapter 6 is people saying, look at me, look at how awesome I am, give me praise, give me honor honor. Give me glory. And that's the distinction. Yes, we're to be salt and light, noticed by the world, but at the same time, our motives are not to be noticed. Yes? Not to be noticed at all. So let's, let's just go through each topic now. Start with giving. Thus, verse 2, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, 
they have received their reward. The temple and the synagogues at the time facilitated caring for the poor. People would give money to the synagogue or the temple, and they would uh, disperse it and care for the poor. There's nothing wrong with giving, but unfortunately, some of these, re- these leaders, I think it's the leaders, turned this giving into a show. And a trumpet sounding here is probably this metaphorical trumpet, uh, kind of like saying, tooting your own horn. Hey, look at me. Watch me give. And those that do this are hypocrites. They're like actors on a stage in a play. They're playing the role for the approval of the audience. It looks like they're giving because they care for the poor, but they're actually putting on a show so that others would praise them and say, wow, aren't they so generous and kind and care for the poor? And you know what? That's all they get. That's their reward. That's what they wanted. That's what they got. And that's it. Nothing more. Just the empty praise of man. I think... It's a temptation for all of us. It's a temptation for all of us to want to be known as the kind of person who cares for the poor, who cares for the needy. We all want to be like patted on the back and say, you're so kind, you're so generous. And I just want to admit that within my heart, that this whole adoption thing, this whole thing is, is such the temptation for me. It's like you just want to be this guy who impresses others. I mean, come on. When, when, I, when I have this baby carrier on me, all right, and I got this baby on me, it is obvious that she is adopted, all right? And conversations are, they just come up, whether you want them to or not. I, I was sitting in, in the Frankfurt airport, minding my own business, and these two men over here cussing, talking all nasty, and then they noticed me. And then their hearts, like, change or something. It's amazing. And they're like, oh, man, that's just the, the greatest thing. And, 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 and the temptation is go, yeah, it is pretty great, isn't it? Yeah, don't you think? But, but what I have to do, because it, it does come up, and it has come up. The, the issue is i got to remember, okay, look, I am a sinner who has been adopted by my Father through Jesus Christ. And what I've done in the past, and I'm not always good at this, but when someone brings up this issue of, oh, that's just great, I want to turn it around and say, you know what? God is so great. He, he, and I've done this before. He has adopted me through Jesus. And I'm just, just, just my heart's just spilling over to, to do that. So it's not about me. And I'm not always careful in doing that. That's the thing. I want to get the glory for myself. But when it comes here, I want to say, boom, give it back to God. And that's where Jesus is going with this. That's where he's going. Look at verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Oh, I like that. It's, It's like the followers of Jesus actually care for the needy. And they want, to, they want to help the poor to the praise of the Father and not to people. And, and when we start to give money and our time to the poor, we want to do it in such a way, watch this, that not only others don't notice, but we don't even notice. Did you catch that? Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Wow, it's a secrecy that, that shows that you're not showing off. In fact, you're keeping it from yourself. 
So you're not even going to pat yourself on the back. You're not even impressed with yourself. You're keeping it from yourself. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand, and, and the point is to keep your focus on God. His reward, and his reward will come in this life. His well done, his reward will come. And, and when we're with him face to face, I'm not sure of the specifics of the reward, but, but I think it's centered on him. It is him and what he gives. I don't understand all the details, but his reward in him. And we don't need to boast of our giving. Back in the day, churches used to name uh, buildings after people who were big donors, wings of their churches after big donors. You remember that? No? Okay. Maybe your grandparents remember that? Uh, Bricks on pavement would have your name on it because you gave. It was very important to my, my grandmother's generation to have this affirmation that if you gave a lot of money, there was going to be some naming rights for you along, along the line. Um, my grandmother, I love my grandmother. She's with the Lord right now. But she had a pane of glass named after her at the Crystal Cathedral. You heard of the Crystal Cathedral out there in California, Robert Schuller? No? All right, big glass structure, crystal <laughs> cathedral. It's huge. And um, so she bought this... Um, I guess gave some money, and you could have this pane of glass named after you. And so I took her to the Crystal Cathedral when she was old. We went up to the desk, and I said, we would like to see the pane of glass named after my grandma. Can't, she's here. Let's see it. And they're like, hmm, what, what are you talking about? And they asked somebody else, oh, yeah, let's go find that big notebook. And they, bought, they got this big notebook out, and they came, and they opened it up, and like, oh, where is it? Oh, here it is, right here. J49, 38, 42, this little pain, that's named after her. And I was like, this is so unimpressive. (laughs) This is so uneventful. I mean, I guarantee you, when the commercial came out, Robert Schuller was saying great things about having your name on a piece of glass. And it was, I'm sure it was a big deal. But when we were there, it was was so uneventful. And and you know, it's, it's really sad that Crystal Cathedral is now bankrupt. Such is the praise of man. Yeah? It's just bankrupt. And it's just not my grandmother's generation that has the problem. I mean, my generation has the problem too, in in different ways. I mean, for those of you who sponsor children, World Vision, Compassion, whatever, or for those of you who give to missionaries, and, and we, we, want it, we, have, we have right motives at times, yes. We want to put them up on our refrigerator or on our dorm room, all these pictures, and, and we want to pray for them. But sometimes when our friends come over and they go, wow, look at all those kids you sponsor. And you're like, yeah, I'm that great. Look at all the missionaries. So don't go, don't go take it down off your refrigerator. It's okay. But it just shows you how subtle good things that we do can cross the line. We can have the right motives to care for the poor, but we can cross the line. And Jesus sees the heart. So don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Keep it from others and keep it from yourselves. We want to get the reward from our Father who is in heaven and not the bankrupt praise of man. Well, let's move on. Let's go into praying. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Maybe this is referring to the the prayer times they had two to three times a day, morning, noon, and night. 
maybe when these times of prayer came, certain people liked to be around lots of other people so they could be noticed by how pious of a Jew they were in their, in their praying. And it's basically a heart's desire to be seen as religious by someone else in dressing up these public prayers. And if that's the goal, to be rewarded by others, well, that's, that's it. You got it, and that's it. But Jesus' disciples are to be different. Look at verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So followers of Jesus are to pray to our Father who is invisible. He is in secret, and he's going to reward us when we pray in secret. You see, people are seen, and our Father is not seen, and we want to be rewarded by our Father who is not seen rather than people who are seen. And this is not against corporate prayer because we have corporate prayer throughout the Bible. But corporate prayer is to be an overflow of our private prayer lives with God. So for those uh, in here who like to champion corporate prayer, you want to make sure that you have this active prayer life already going on. And as you try to get people to pray within your ethos and the church and your Bible study on campus, you try to get people to pray, make sure that your motives are not to be wanting to be seen as this great person of prayer. We don't want to be rewarded by others. We want to seek the reward of our Father. And he keeps going. Look at verse 7. And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And this is not talking about these long, lengthy prayers, because Jesus had, he had times of long prayer, lengthy prayer. This is like the, the pagan babbling to their gods, uh, repetitious phrases to get the attention of their gods. We don't need to be like that with our Father. God wants our hearts, not our mantras. Verse 8. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. If God knows what we need, you ever seen that verse and go, well, if he knows what we need, then why do we need to tell him? If he already knows it, then why tell him? And if you think that, maybe you have a, a, a wrong misconception of prayer. Prayer is just not about information transfer. It's not like you come before God and you say, God, I know you have zero clue about this, so let me just tell you. It's not about information transfer. It's about a relationship with our Father. And if he knows what we need for, we ask, he already knows. We just need to pour out our hearts to him. He cares for us. It shows our dependence. Prayer is not about information transfer. It's about a relationship. And, And within this context, Jesus gives us this model prayer called the Lord's Prayer. But don't forget the context. The context is against repetitious babbling. Isn't that interesting? It's in that context. And would you not agree that for those of you who know the Lord's Prayer, have you ever said it mindlessly? Yeah? Have you ever done repetitious babbling with the Lord's Prayer? It's the context there of not to do that. Here's the model prayer, and we take this model prayer, and probably no prayer throughout history has been repetitiously babbled without us even thinking. And it's not that we can't pray the Lord's Prayer. It's a great prayer to pray. I pray the Lord's Prayer. You should pray the Lord's Prayer, but not mindlessly. In fact, 
I, I even wonder if Jesus is saying, this is the exact word-for-word prayer I want you to pray. Or is he giving us this kind of general outline model of how he wants us to pray? So within this context of prayer, Jesus kind of like takes a little time out and says, look, let me teach you how to pray. Not repetitious babbling, not drawing attention to yourself. This is the way you pray. Look at verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's a great way, great way to start. Fixing all of our attention on our God, all of our attention uh, off of ourself and our babbling prayers. And it says, Father, our Father, the Father of Jesus, the Father of our brothers and sisters around the world, make your fame known. Our Father, may my life seek to glorify you. My Father, our Father, may all mortal flesh worship you. And that's the kind of the direction we really want to start and go and stay with our prayers throughout is that we want to have this idea that our, our prayers are centered on the fame and the glory of our Father. May his name be great throughout the world. May God be made much of and let us exalt and praise his name together. Hallowed be your name. Verse 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is the prayer for the concept of God's reign and his kingdom to, to manifest itself, to come in its fullness all over the earth. May the, the submission to the reign of God that exists in heaven now, perhaps uh, maybe thinking among the angels, may that same submission happen within not just the church, but may the submission to the reign of God spread as the gospel spreads and more incorporating into the church a submission to the Father and His will on this earth. Can, can you imagine if you actually start praying that? God, may your name be hallowed. Father, uh, may you, your will be done. And what you will start to see is that when you pray certain things, your heart starts to be shaped to the things you're praying. God, may you just be made holy all over the world. God, may your will be done. And what will happen is you start to pray these things over and over again your heart will be shaped to the holiness of our Father to see his fame spread, to do his will. When I was uh, over at the embassy in Africa, in Ethiopia, I was at the embassy a lot. I had some complications while I was over there. Um, while I was there, I, I noticed something that was bringing fame to our Father and making his name hallowed. I'm just sitting back, minding my own business. And I saw this uh, adoptive couple. I know they were Christians because of a certain agency they were with. They were up there. You go to this window, and you meet with this agent, and they interview you. And so you see this couple come up. And I'm just watching them, and I'm thinking, this is unbelievable. This is a couple, and I, I'm, I'm just guessing. that They're probably at least 55 years old, adopting a two- to three-year-old special needs boy. Talk about your world's about to be rocked, turned upside down. And they were simple folk. I mean, there was nothing that drew attention to them at all. The way they were dressed, the way they were acting, just simple folk. (laughs) And you know what? Bringing fame to our Father. Doing His will. I mean, His will, God's will is to care for orphans, to care for special needs orphans all over the world. That's His will. 
And they're bringing fame and glory to the Father who's in heaven. They're, they're, they're becoming an answer to the Lord's prayer. It's powerful. You'll see as you start to pray. Pray in line the way the Father wants you to pray. You'll see that your heart and your life start to be shaped to the way you're praying. But let's continue. Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us the daily bread. Give us the, give us the breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Maybe not even three meals a day. Give us one meal a day. Just, I don't, just give us our daily bread. Not our weekly bread. Not our monthly bread. Not these huge storehouses of bread. Just like the manna. The Israelites in the wilderness, manna was enough for one day. And believe it or not, a lot of people in the world, that's all they get. And they don't even know what's next. And most uh, people who are poor and suffering in the world, they don't have these government handouts that we have. They don't. They don't know what's next. And the Christians are like, Father, give us this day our daily bread. Make provision for us today. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. The concept is forgive as we've forgiven. We'll, we'll get to more on this in just a second. Verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There is great temptation and evil all over this earth. I don't know if you feel that when you wake up, when you maneuver throughout your day, or if you just kind of forget. But th- th- there's, there's great evil on campus. Would you not agree? There's great evil as we function and go about our lives. There's many venues of temptation. And basically the prayer is, Father, somehow, please, Father, intervene in in my life and, and keep me away. Just keep me away from these venues of temptation. Father, please protect us and keep us far away. But but Father, if I if I bump up against temptation, if I bump up against this evil, it says, deliver us from evil. Can you imagine just praying every day, Father, please keep me from venues of temptation, but if I find myself there, may I always take the way out. Give me the ability to say no to sin, to turn the other direction. Give me the power of the Spirit and the grace to just take the way out. Father, please keep me from sin. I just love it. You're praying for, for food. And you're praying for deliverance from sin. It's a daily thing. And now back to the forgiveness issue, verse 14 and 15. The little expansion of the Lord's Prayer. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The little expansion here of the Lord's Prayer talks about the seriousness of reconciling with others. And if you've been with us on the Sermon on the Mount for a while, you've seen this issue has come up before of reconciling with others. And you see it again here. And if we keep walking through Matthew, you're going to keep seeing it. And I just want to say, when we talked about reconciling with others a few weeks back, have you done that? You know you named that person that you had issues with. Did you go to them? Jesus is very serious about reconciliation. We have been reconciled to the Father through the cross of Jesus Christ, and now we can move out and be reconciled to others. And if we do not move out and attempt to be reconciled with others, you've got to seriously ask, have we really been reconciled with the Father? Because those who have been reconciled for the offense that we've done to our Father is far greater than what we have done to others or they have done to us. We must have this movement of reconciliation. It's going to come up again and again 
and again. Jesus is very serious about it. Now let's go to the last issue of piety, fasting. Verse 16. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Jesus assumes his disciples will fast. I know there's a lot of things you may wonder about fasting, and that can be for another sermon, another time, or an investigation for you, but I think the intention uh, is from time to time, for a variety of reasons, believers will fast. Uh, and fasting may look like setting aside food for a time of prayer prayer privately, sometimes prayer corporately. You'll see that even in the book of Acts, this time of fasting. But what Jesus is honing in on here is the motive of fasting. What's your motive? And I, and I must say, fasting is one of the most dangerous spiritual disciplines in the Christian life. And it's not dangerous because you're not eating. I'm not talking about that. It's one of the most dangerous uh, disciplines in the Christian life because of the desire to have others notice you. Because when you're not eating and you're fasting and you're going to intense time of prayer, it's almost like you want others to know, hey, guess what? I'm not eating. I'm praying. Isn't that cool? It's like you want others to notice. And, and in fact, if you're not careful in fasting, if you don't tell anybody else, you can still be impressed with yourself. I can't believe this. I'm not eating. I am so spiritual. And that's why it's such a dangerous discipline. I think it's one of the most dangerous disciplines of all of them. Because pride can really well up. And the discipline of fasting. And Jesus knows this. And so look what he says about guarding our hearts, about this bankrupt man-centered reward. Look at verse 17 and 18. When you fast... Anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So the focus is taking on these measures to cover up your fasting. Anoint your head. Wash your face. Don't tell anybody that you're fasting. Don't look all gloomy and pouty that you don't have any food. Just keep it secret. And fasting is not just not eating. That's called starvation. Right? When you fast, you eat. Not food, but you eat the Word. You seek your Father. If you're not praying and seeking the Word, then it's just starvation. But when you do fast and you do seek your Father, you cover it up so that God only sees the fasting and only He rewards. Are you catching a theme here from, from our lives of giving, for our lives of praying and our lives of fasting? It's about this secret relationship that we're not trying to show off, but that we have with our Father. And we practice these disciplines because we have a relationship with our Father and we're not trying to impress other people. Can you, can you imagine, or maybe you have imagined, or maybe you have seen this. Have you ever seen someone in a relationship, maybe boyfriend, girlfriend, or husband and wife, where one of the, the persons is just trying to impress everybody else 
with the relationship, but it's not really into the relationship. You ever seen uh, maybe a, a girl with her, or with her man, she, she really doesn't care about him. But she wants others to know that these two together have a nice house, nice cars, nice appearance, but she's not into the relationship. That's pretty corrupt, right? And on the flip side, you have men who want their woman to look good, yes? They want them to look, look great. Whatever it takes, look great. Don't really care. It's about what others perceive in this relationship. Is, is, is that corrupt? And what if you were on the receiving end or, or married to someone like that or boyfriend, girlfriend like that, where you're like, do you, do you like me? Do you even notice me? You just care about the way we're perceived by is That is corrupt. That's the same deal here with our Father. We have this great relationship with our Father through Jesus. He sent his Son. He reconciled to us. And we have this fabulous relationship with him. Why would we corrupt it by saying, watch me? Watch me what I can do for, for God. And it becomes less about God and more about impressing others. That's sad. That's corrupt. That's what we have to guard against. It's a big deal for Jesus. It's a big deal for Jesus for us to have an eye toward God and our spiritual disciplines and not toward people. And I I just want to press hard here at the end. I really want to press hard here because if you miss this, I'm I'm so fearful of you as I'm fearful of myself about us. Do we really have a relationship with God? Do we really have a relationship with God? Would your relationship with God exist if you were not around other people? Here's what I think about. If, you, if I could, uh, I think about this. This is weird. Like if I stripped away preaching, if I stripped away uh, pastoral care, if I stripped away leadership responsibilities in my life, if I stripped away the concept that I am a pastor, do I still have a relationship with God? Like when I get old and maybe I can't uh, be a pastor anymore, I- I'm wondering, Will I still have time in the Word? Will I still have time in prayer? Will I still have a time to uh, desire to obey because I love the Lord? Or will all of that drop off because no one else is watching? Do I have a relationship with the Lord because I love Him? Or do I have a relationship with Him because I love you and I want your praise? You ever seen someone where they have all that stuff just cut out from under them and they're like, they're gone. They're not following the Lord anymore. And I'm, I'm just checking your motive. What is your motive? Is it because you're around other people and other people are watching? Or do you really have a relationship with the Lord? When I was over in Africa, each day was a potential for good news or bad news. Oh, each day. Oh, so much drama. It's always drama. And Every day was, could be something good or, or bad. And when bad news would come, I felt my knees get really weak. You know when you, know, you ever see these TV shows and they say, they tell someone to sit down before they give them bad news? Never understood why. And it's because your knees, they start to give out. I don't know. I've never felt that before. And so bad news would come to me. Uh, bad news came last Monday where we were stuck in that country. And it wasn't their fault. It was Washington, D.C.'s fault. It's really someone else's fault. But we were over there, and my knees are giving out. And, I, and they're giving out because each day we're stuck there is an extra $500. And I don't know how long that's going to last. 
for a variety of reasons, this is an extra $500, or so my needs are given out. Uh, but my son was with me. And I was with all these other Christians with our agency. And so when we got this bad news, I, I spoke about God's control. I spoke about needing to give, I was saying, let's give thanks in all circumstances. And let's be joyful always. And I'm wondering, do I really believe that? Or am I just trying to impress my son? Am I just trying to set a good example for him? Am I trying to impress all these other believers? Watch how the pastor handles bad news. <laughs> like, is that real? Is that really in my heart? I really trust him. and I, I, I want to check my motives. So if we strip everything else away, does our walk with the Lord stand? If I do not have a wife to lead spiritually and children to raise up in the Lord, does my devotional life with the Lord stand? If you don't have friends at school that are Christians or at church and they're all stripped away, does your relationship with the Lord stand? Do you do your spiritual life because of the pressures of others? Or do you actually love them? Do you actually walk with them? Because I'm telling you, Hard times will come, and some of that praise of man may be stripped away, and you need to deal with it now. So when the crunch and the suffering comes later, that you will show that you actually are walking with the Lord because you love him, what he's done in the gospel of Jesus. You love him, and you're not just doing the, for the bankrupt praise of men. And what happens now is that we cultivate that life. We cultivate that devotional life with our Father in secret. We cultivate it in prayer. We go to the secret and to our Father and we say, we praise you what you've done through Jesus on the cross, reconciling to us. We have this, we pour out our hearts to him in secret. Whether we're even in here around all of us, we do it in secret in our head and our heart and we have, even if we express it, it's something that we're not trying to show off to others. And in our fasting we're not trying to impress others. We're not trying to impress ourselves. We're cultivating this life in secret. And when we give to the poor and care for the needy, we're not trying to impress anybody, not even ourselves. We just love our Father, what he's done for us through Jesus. And I think we, we fight against this tendency to try to impress other people by keep going in secret. Keep going in secret. Keep wanting to worship him alone. Him alone, not the praise of men and women. I think it's how we cultivate this life of, of seeking the reward from him and him alone. Let's pray. Lord, you know that it is so subtle, so subtle. Our motives can start off so good and get so twisted and mixed and and. and moved around. So right now, may you, may you penetrate to the core of our hearts and do something in our hearts right now and, and, and show us, speak to us about what's going on. I, I pray for the men in here who, who have crossed the line and, and they're not walking with you because they want you, but they're walking with you maybe because they want to impress their wives or their girlfriends or they want to impress maybe their kids, or they just feel the social pressure. I just ask, Lord, for those men right now, that they would have a vital relationship with you, not because their wives want them to, or their kids want them to, or their friends want them to, or people in their ethos want them to. It's because they really want to. So pray for those men right now, Lord, whoever they are. You, you've picked them out here this morning. You're speaking to them now. So I just ask the men in here who, who are just kind of playing this game would have a vital relationship with you. And I pray for the women in here who've, who've been distracted. 
who, who are not necessarily walking with you right now. They, they don't have a desire for you, but they show up to church. They go through the motions of sometimes doing a devotional because they don't really want to set a good example for others. And I just, I just pray for those women that they would just kind of strip it all away from their kids to, their, to, their, to, their, to the people that are in their lives, in their dorm rooms, or wherever they're at, and say, you know what, it's about Jesus. And I just pray for those women that they would really want a vital relationship with Jesus in secret, not to impress others. So, Lord, do a work on us now. Do a work on us now. I, I know you've started a work in us, and you're going to bring it to completion. But if we somehow have crossed the line, if we somehow have gotten uh, things messed up in our heart motives, turn us back around right now, Father. I ask as we continue to worship you and think about you, even when we have people around us, I just ask that maybe for the first time we're, we're worshiping you because we want to worship you to impress no one, just, just to, to seek you and your reward. Do that work in our life right now. In Christ's name, amen. If you like to...